My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's kind, she's humble, she's the Walmart of podcast hosts. It's my sister, Marissa. Did I use that right? Walmart? Sure. (laughs) It's a place regular people go. You wouldn't know it. Mm. So welcome to, we are almost done with the Guilty Knowledge Rewatch for season one. Is this the third to last? Yeah. There are 13 episodes in season one. And this is season one, episode 11, entitled What's My Motivation? So we are we are rolling ever closer to, you know, the guilty knowledge that we all have. <laughs> uh, but before we get there, let's do some housekeeping up front. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and goodplay.cast.rocks. Uh, if you like, please rate and review us on iTunes. That would really help us. And you can follow or like us on Facebook. We have a, a group called The Good Play, Twitter at The Good Play Pod, and you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. Did I get everything? I think so. All right. You want to dive in? Is it recap time already? It is recap time already. Okay. Where did we last leave our heroes? What happened? What was the end of last week's episode? The end of last week's episode was. Uh, Jason and Janet dancing to Digital Get Down. But before that, uh, it was Chidi comes in and is like totally blindsided by everything. And Eleanor tells him like, you know, I'm not really in love with you, I think. And then Tahani Tahani saying, I have an idea. I have an idea. And so this is the beginning of this episode is the continuation of that idea. Yes. Where we see our humans and Vicky Eleanor sitting in Michael's office. I guess Jason's not there, right? Right. So he's with Janet. Right. <clears throat> so Michael shows them all their point totals. Um, I-, I don't think this needs to be a-, a topic of deep discussion, but do you think those are legit point totals? Um, maybe. Although it's hard to believe because they're not really in the good place. Right. Right. But it's possible that the line to get into the good place is really like 200 million or something. You know what I mean? It's possible, that, it's possible that those are real point totals, but they don't really get you in. God, I hope not. That seems <laughs> Look, impossible. you and I were never getting in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We have not changed the consciousness of a nation. It's not <laughs> happening. So they're, they're looking at their point totals and... Um, Tahani's idea is to try to up Eleanor's point total, in a sense, by having her do good things in the good place. And that will be their argument to the judge of like, look, she's changed. Look at all these points that she's earned after death, even though you don't really earn points after death. So they're going to sort of pretend that you earn points after death. Uh, Eleanor gets like a little pocket watch that has her point total, which I think is negative 4,008. Yeah, that was like, that was like what she sat at the moment she died. Um, And it does like, it does kind of comport with who she seems to be, which is someone who is kind of morally neutral with a slight slant towards uh, amoral behavior. Mm -hmm. So it seems about right. Yeah. She's not actively. Right. She's not, she's not committing like heinous crimes. 
She right. was just kind of a... Yeah, and we'll get to Jason later. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> we never do see Jason's total. That would be pretty funny. Uh, so Eleanor is like, yes, I'm committed to this. I'm going to do nice things. I'm going to rub it all in their smug faces. And then she like immediately loses five points, which <laughs> Chidi points out. And that's that's the cold open. So Tahani takes Eleanor to the frozen yogurt, one of the frozen yogurt places for her to hold the door for people. And it's supposed to be five points per door hold, but her little pocket watch isn't going up at all, uh, which is really frustrating to Eleanor. And Tahani says, you know, that most of the quote big ticket items are not on the table because she's it's impo- they're impossible to do in the afterlife. Um, and then she says that she sacrificed her life to save others, which we now know is complete BS. Because she died in Cleveland. <laughs> which, well, there's no one worth saving in Cleveland, right? <laughs> so Tahani says, okay, everybody hates you because everyone is really, she's holding the door for people, but nobody is saying thank you or being gracious about it. So Tahani's like, okay, everybody hates you. And, you know, I know what we should do about it. Uh, we cut to Eleanor's house, which now that I think about it, so is Vicky Eleanor living in Eleanor's house now? Where is Eleanor living? That's a great question. I thought about that too. I, I mean, didn't think about it until this to, very moment. It's meant to be real, quote unquote, real Eleanor's house. So yeah, you'd think, but. Although Chidi says we have a guest, which makes me think that all three of them are living there, which, whew, recipe for something a yeah, little awkward. Great. So Vicky, Eleanor, and Chidi are having hard-boiled eggs for breakfast, and Vicky, Eleanor, hides a note in Chidi's hard-boiled eggshell to say that she loves him, and Chidi has a fairly amazing reaction. Oh! Well, that is... something. His comedic timing in that moment is great. He's like, can we go back and talk about eggs now? Can I say the look on his face when he thinks that it's the egg saying I love you? Yeah. I was like, I was like, that is the cheaty. That is my husband. Yes. That, just like the sheer like childlike delight. And just I that's the cheaty I want to marry. That also was uh, I think that was on the Good Place Twitter feed a couple of days ago. It was like they tweeted something like, you know, when Twitter was really new and it was uh Cheaty saying, I love you too, egg, because like all the avatars would have been eggs. <laughs> that is clever. Yeah. Whoever runs that Twitter account. A plus. Yeah. <clears throat> so we cut to Janet and Jason kissing in Jason's bud hole. And Jason kind of breaks it off and says, you know, this isn't right. We're married, but we haven't told your dad. And Janet's like, yeah, he's not my dad. And... And also, no, we can't tell him because then he'll know that you're not Jianyu and he will send you to the bad place to be tortured. And I don't want that to happen. And then Jason says, yeah, but I want you to have the life you deserve. And this is where we begin the first of three flashbacks, as is traditional for The Good Place. Uh, The first of three flashbacks to Jason's life, where Jason and his best friend Pillboy are talking about how, well, Jacksonville is one of the top 10 swamp cities in In northern Florida. Northeastern Florida? But if they really want to make it in DJing, they have to move to Miami. But Pillboy says he has no money. He just spent it all on this burrito that is about to cause him some gastrointestinal (laughs) distress. So Jason says, um, let's rob the restaurant and we can get married if we get caught. And then we can't testify against each other. He's really got it all figured out. No one can testify against us. (laughs) 
so he's like really super misinterpreting <laughs> that statute there. I guess I give him some kind of credit for being like so not homophobic that the idea of marrying his male best friend is just like, yeah, this is a convenient ruse yeah. to, get, <laughs> to get out of trouble. And it's he's, like no big deal. He's many things, but he's not homophobic. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> So Tahani brings a bunch of fake good placers to her house to ask them why they have a grudge against Eleanor. And they all sort of share random things that, in retrospect, we know are just ridiculous because they're bad place employees. Yeah, I mean, it's Tahani doesn't know they're bad place employees. No, of course not. Yeah, we do. So, you know. Uh, so so Eleanor says, you know, the last time they were really happy was the the party, the opening night party. And so... Let's throw another party and kind of reset things. <clears throat> and Donnie says, Yes, of course. We must throw the perfect party, or else we'll be tortured by demons forever. This will be the fourth most important party I have ever thrown. <laughs> I want to know about those other three. We all do. So Michael finds out because of Janet and Jason's carelessness. He finds out that they're married and that Jason is not who... Michael pretends to think that he is. Yeah, this is where it starts to like... It really collapsed in on itself. Yeah. And Michael banishes Janet to her void and Jason keeps calling her back and she keeps popping in and out and it's actually pretty funny. Uh, Because Michael wants to deal with Jason alone. But Jason wants his his wifey with him. He's like, no, come back. And she's like, okay, hi. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) So... So Eleanor's getting ready for the party and, and Chidi is quizzing her on the residents who will be there and what their specific beef with her is. <laughs> and then he kind of asks her for advice about Vicky Eleanor and he says, basically, you know, you know me better than anyone else here. So I, I want your advice, even though Eleanor's like, you sure you want my advice? Yeah. But uh, he says, you know, Vicky Eleanor told me that she loved me and, you know, I don't know what to say back. And, and I'm worried that my motivation for saying I love you back to her is incorrect because my motivation is kind of just that she said it to me. And Eleanor's like, look, you know, the universe, she's the universe approved soulmate. So just say you love her and don't overthink it. Yeah. And her score goes up 20 points, which it's I'm really curious to know exactly what made her score go up. I, I it, my, In my heart of hearts, it's like. Gave someone the correct advice, even though it broke your heart. <laughs> yeah, I was, I think that's probably it too, or something along that line. Like, gave somebody advice, even though it was difficult for you, like it was a personally difficult situation for you, gave them, you know, advice that wasn't self-serving, because she could have been like, well, you know, I don't know, I mean, I'm a total smoke show, but she didn't do that. <laughs> So in Michael's office, Michael gives Jason the same test that we had seen him giving to Eleanor about having a vanity license plate and never going to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers in concert. And Jason is like, yeah, I'm acing this test. Like, I'm saying yes to all your questions. And Michael is like, oh, my God. Yeah, he's he's like, have you ever committed any serious crimes? And he's like, he's like, yes, one time I blew up a man's speedboat because he was suing me. And another time I stole a woman's fake leg, which is like, what? And then... I think Later that was on, on a dare, right? On a, because of a dare. And then uh, he also tried to steal Flea's bass guitar. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So Michael has 
apparently is having an anxiety attack and kind of Jason goes over and puts his hand on Michael's heart and Michael's like no oh why does this still work (laughs) Jason's like everything's gonna be okay homie which I guess I don't know maybe that is true (laughs) we have yet to find out we get Jason's second flashback where Jason is inside the safe and Pillboy is basically dressed up like Mario and talking like Mario. Oh my god! <laughs> it's a me, uh, the safe installer. <laughs> I installed the uh, how you say a safe. Oh my god. And, <laughs> the, and the woman running the register at the pizza restaurant is like, ugh, and she just calls the police. She's like, yeah, we're being robbed. And he's like, no, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so we go back to the party where I, you have here in the notes that Tahani is wearing a gorgeous yellow dress. She has she's she's got a lot of great outfits this episode, but this one is just absolutely top she notch. Looks so good. Do you think that the actress gets to keep her wardrobe because God, that would be so. such a plus of having this job? God, I hope so. So the party's going well, but Eleanor's point total isn't going up. And they ask Michael to make a speech, and he's fresh off of fi- fi- quote unquote figuring out that. Gianni was really Jason, so he's just like, all of you have secrets, and the only way for me to know is to rip your skeletons out. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Michael. So Eleanor gives a little speech, you know, apologizing to everybody, and they're like, well, what do you have to say for yourself? And she says, Pobody's nerfed, and they all start laughing, which makes no sense to me. So I, it, it's one of two things. It's either... That the bad place employees have been told to ease up on Eleanor eventually at some point. Like, this is part of their act. Or, you know, they're not human and they have literally never heard this joke before. And yeah. they and they surprisingly find it delightful. Like, if, if you were dropped onto Earth as an alien and you knew there was a store called target and then someone's like we call it target like maybe you would find it funny (laughs) just that first time (laughs) maybe i don't know i don't know the unanswered question but her point total is still not going up and she realizes that her motivation is corrupt that she's only doing these good things because she wants to stay in the good place. And this kind of ties into the the argument that Jen makes at the end of season two. That mm-hmm. all these people have been doing good things, but it's only because they, you know, they know the point system now. They know about the afterlife. And that's why she drops them back into the simulation or rewinded time. So in the wake of that re- revelation... She writes everybody a personalized apology note. She tells, she gives um, instructions to Chidi and Tahani to distribute them in a while. She kind of doesn't give them, she doesn't say after I'm gone, but that's what she means. And she also has personalized Pobody's Nerfect with shirts with with her face on them. She's really like an entrepreneur in the shirt game. It's like this and yeah. dress bitch. <clears throat> Back in Michael's office, Jason asks Michael why Michael doesn't want Janet and Jason to be together. And Michael says, Janice, not built for human life. And, and, you know, don't you remember how you died? You know, it's not like you're a very good provider. And then we get our final flashback, which is Pillboy being arrested by a strangely sympathetic cop who's like, you know, you were not the brains of this. You were just an accomplice and maybe you'll get probation. And Pillboy's like, what about Jason? He's like, Jason's dead. He's suffocated in the safe. And Pillboy says something about, oh, we never got what we deserved. And the cop's like, mm, I think he got roughly what he deserved. Well, before that, the cop is like, 
the cop is like, there were no air holes, and he did a bunch of whippets in there, which can't help. And then <laughs> Pillboy goes, at least he died doing what he loved. A bunch of whippets. <laughs> So Jason, so Jason had not remembered his death, just like these people don't tend to remember their deaths unless Michael actually kind of triggers the memory. So Jason, having remembered how he died, now is like consumed by this sense of inferiority comparing himself to Janet, which is the correct feeling to feel. <laughs> and he tells Janet to leave him because she deserves someone better. And yeah, he says the immortal line. I'm just a dope who died in a safe with a snorkel who's only now realizing why that didn't work. <laughs> and Janet says, you know, no, you know, I-, I love you. And I also hate things now like genocide and leggings as pants. <laughs> and Michael says, okay, I'm going to go reboot Janet and like erase this mistake. But Janet is really angry about this idea. And the and so Michael kind of storms off and Janet's like, okay, we love each other and we want to be together. So we have to run away. So back in Eleanor's house, Vicky, Eleanor, Chidi and Dahani are kind of like talking about Eleanor, like, well, what's going on? And they see her little pocket watch. And all of a sudden her point total has gone from negative to positive. It's gotten like pretty, pretty strongly positive, not as strongly positive as Chidi or Tahani's, but it goes up pretty high. And Chidi's like, so he so he kind of has the revelation where he's talking to Vicky Eleanor being like you know I'm sorry I haven't said I love you but it's my motivation and then it clicks for him and he looks at the pocket watch he says Eleanor's motivation changed she wasn't she's not trying to stay in the good place anymore and that means that she's trying to go to the bad place and they kind of run after her meanwhile Eleanor is sitting at the train station waiting for a train Janet and Jason come up Eleanor says hey Janet can you call me a train to the bad place and Janet says look we're actually running away to the medium place, which is uh, inhabited by one woman, Mindy St. Clair. And Eleanor's like, a-, a medium place? That's what I've been talking about the whole time. Let's go there. <clears throat> Just then a train pulls in, but Janet didn't call it. It was Sean. It's Sean's train. As Sean gets off, the three of them sneak on. And Michael kind of greets Sean being like, oh, sorry. Hey, uh, I'm here now. Um, I hope you can see that, like, um, you know, that Eleanor's a good person. And Sean's like, are you sure? Because she's stealing my train. And Eleanor kind of pokes her head out the window as it's chugging away to be like, sorry, Michael, bye. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah, he's like, this isn't great for my case. Yes. <laughs> From Elon. Do-do-do-do. <laughs> that's um, Nick Offerman's voice. Which, Park, what? From Parks and Rec went from Yulon. That's the Oh. Moment. More useless trivia for me to carry around in my head. Hey, if I have to carry it, <laughs> so I'm like the giver of useless trivia. All right. So, I, you know, I like to start in the town of Plot Holes. Sure. So there's a device that can not only do point totals on the fly for one of these souls. I mean, maybe that's all there is to it. It, it can it can read Eleanor's mind so that it knows why she's doing things and therefore calculates points, which I guess when you think about it, that kind of has to be true for people who are alive, right? I was going to say, that, does, that doesn't... It didn't really bother me because that's how point totals are calculated while we're alive too if if you want to believe that that's actually true because 
Tahani did all these wonderful things in her life, but none of them really mattered or counted because her motivations were incorrect because she was always doing it to like one up her sister uh, and get her parents' attention. So even though she did all these wonderful things, she did them for the wrong reason. So at some point, like whatever calculus is made has to also take into account the motivations of people, which is perhaps another reason to say that the point total system is kind of BS. Oh, it for sure is. I think we've we've firmly established that. It's just funny to me because it feels when you're watching this, especially the second season, it feels like, I mean, think about how our gang escapes from Sean by hiding under the train. Mm-hmm. And somehow, like, Bad Janet is unable to scan for them. She's, like, scanning in the wrong direction. Yeah. So it, it feels like while we're alive and, and the demons and the angels or whatever are on a higher plane of existence, there is some sort of omniscience that they have about what's going on with us in, in our heads and <clears throat> in our souls. But that once we're operating on the same plane, that kind of goes away. It's a little bit more of a level playing field. Hmm. Because... Uh, well, I mean, if if Sean could have read the mind of Eleanor in the second season, he would know that she still believes that Michael is, that she always believes that Michael is on her side. You know what I mean? Like, th- that it feels like once they're operating in the same environment, that kind of um, super knowledge ebbs away a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... Um, there might also be a difference between what the system knows and what, like, Michael knows. Because we all, we kind of know that Michael's not omniscient because, like, he didn't know that Jason and Janet were married. Yeah, we think he didn't know that. It's hard to know in retrospect. That's true. I'm not sure. I kind of take, I kind of took it as face value because it's something that he couldn't have predicted. Like, he knows about, he knows Jason is really Jason, so all that is kind of a ruse, but I don't know that he knew that that was going to happen with Janet. Yeah, no, did he know ahead of time it was going to happen? I think no, but once the wedding actually happens, is he really totally ignorant of it? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I also think, um, you know, that my issue with the point total counter in this episode, looking back on it, having watched all of season two, is that the whole point of their sort of revelations at the end of season two is that like, this isn't supposed to be able to happen. You're not supposed to be able to change your situation or change your point total or change your, you know, the makeup of your soul after you die. Like that's the whole point is like, Oh, but we did that and we defied the odds. And so we deserve a chance, but that's the whole It's more than just defying the odds. It's like breaking this thing that Michael thought was a law. Yeah. Like breaking the, the norm Um, but that's what this episode is, is them trying to be like, Hey, maybe you could get a better point total. Like maybe your soul can be, uh, improved. Like, well, they all believe, I mean, I think Tani and Chidi, uh, Jason doesn't have an opinion, I don't think, but I think Tani and Chidi and Eleanor all firmly believe that Eleanor has improved since her arrival. So it's, it's almost like an article of faith for them that this is a thing. And meanwhile, we know it's an article of faith for Michael that it's not a thing, but I mean, what what did you expect to happen for Michael to say, like, well, souls are immutable and therefore this is a waste of time? Like, he kind of had to play along with it. I guess. I don't know. I mean, 
I guess I guess if he hadn't played along with it, we wouldn't have had the episode. <laughs> well, yeah, there's narrative forward motion, but <clears throat> I think more to the point, if Michael revealed that he believes that souls can't be changed, then some of what he has done in the past would kind of become a little bit inscrutable. You know, he he just declared in the last episode or something that Eleanor's gotten better, right? I mean, isn't that sort of something that he's been saying? So Yeah, I guess that's true. He kind of has to play along with his own shtick at this point. Yeah, he's sort of... And you can see now in in retrospect how, like, all of these things are sort of painting him, him, painting him into a corner. Yeah. You know, um, he's got... I, I think we've talked a lot about how, like, you know, he's good at the strategizing, but he's not good at the execution. And this is a lot of different threads getting away from him. You can just sort of see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the anxiety attack upon finding out that Gianni is really Jason is false insofar as he knows it's really Jason. But I think it's true in the sense that, like, Jason revealing it himself rather than being outed, which I bet is what Michael was counting on. Yeah. And oh, by the way, Jason and Janet got married. And meanwhile, you know, all this stuff is spinning out of control with Eleanor trying to prove that she really belongs here. Like, it probably is a lot for him. (laughs) And, you know, he doesn't... It's funny because he doesn't really, like, who's his confidant? He's sort of alone in this, which almost makes me feel bad for him for, like, a hot second. Yeah, except he's, like, super evil. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then we get our first glimpse of Sean in this episode, who is pretending to be kind of what Jen really is. That's a good point. So, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. The The Bad Place employees don't seem to be super, like, outside-the-box thinkers. You know, the fact that this whole bureaucracy exists and it's predicated on this notion that human souls are kind of frozen at the moment of their death and it's our job to punish them and like you know arguably none of those things are true it means that they're not like a they're not a race of like galileos right like always striving to (laughs) discover the truth you know like but it moves like no they're they're not like that so it's not super surprising that sean would kind of steal jen's identity in a sense but so I know this is getting ahead of ourselves. This happens in the next episode, but I, I'm just going to talk about it now. Why the thing with the, like, exoskeleton? <laughs> like, why? Oh, his thing? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was, I mean, it's just sort of a sight gag, isn't it? Like, his little thing that he zips himself up in when he's... Yeah, I mean, at the moment, you're like, oh, this is some sort of, like, meta being who is so far from humanity that he doesn't even fully appear human. It's like, no, he's just another... Just another demon. He's just—he's a middle manager who's kind of clawing his way up. And well, maybe they had to kind of set up the exoskeleton because that's what he kind of wraps up Vicky in in season two. Is that right? Yeah. I forgot about that. She's like, "This is all Michael's fault," and then Michael's like, "Oh, she's crazy," and then she's a woman. She's a, yeah, exactly. And then they exoskeleton her. That's weird. It's just weird. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It like doesn't I don't think it adds anything. It just I I think that was just meant to be like meant to like sort of make this character of the judge seem like he is that meta being because our group doesn't know. But it is kind of a weird way to do that. 
I do also remember that it leads to like a lot of really funny like line deliveries because they have to be super um, unemotional. Yeah. Um, so it's Chidi like, being like, she has improved yes, in every exactly. way since the day she arrived. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I don't know that it had any like other sort of significance other than that. <laughs> Sorry for for jumping into the next episode. But it's like our first look at Mark Evan Jackson, who is so good in this role. And it's such like a weird thing in the next episode to zip him into this exoskeleton. But apart from that, it's so great for him to be doing this part. He's just like such a perfect actor for this. Yeah, he's really... I I think especially in season two, we get to see him be his like normal self in the bad place and he just kills it every single time and I think what what confuses me about his role and I think we've talked about this before but what confuses me about his role is like how on earth did Michael convince him to do this to like perpetuate this ruse with him because it it didn't seem like we are also jumping ahead because this we're getting towards like the final arc and the final reveal and everything of the last episode. So it didn't seem like Mark Evan Jackson was like all too interested in this new idea of Michael's. So like, why would he then agree to play this part? Oh, in the actual inside the reality of yeah, the good place. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. I assume that it was Sean's way of being like, yeah, I'm going to come look at this myself. You know, if your boss is really skeptical about the project you're running, he's probably going to be like, yeah, I'm going to come down on Monday and just like scope it out. He may have, I mean, you had, you had postulated in an earlier episode that maybe Adam Scott was acting on Sean's orders. Yes. My boyfriend, that, Adam Scott, yes. Your boyfriend, Adam Scott, was sort of being Sean's eyes and ears. And they did, you know, in the world of the show, you know, that train just left, like, two days ago. That's true. Right? So it's not a, it's not an unsafe assumption that Adam Scott went back, debriefed with Sean, and Sean was like, oh, what is going, what now? What's happening? Especially if, and it's this is really hard to know. We as you as you keep saying we need like webisodes of like We behind. do. I was like we need like a bad place web series. You yeah, know. we're never gonna get that, but we should get we it. We can write it ourselves. Archive Espe- of our own dot net or whatever. I think it's dot org. Is it, but org. like especially if there had been some kind of pre arranged thing that was supposed to happen with Adam Scott, like maybe who knows, but but maybe Adam Scott was supposed to take Eleanor back to the bad place or something else. It's hard to know. Right. But, but maybe there was a, a set of things that was supposed to happen and they didn't happen. And Adam Scott goes back to Sean and is like, uh, Michael is off the reservation, you know, and, and this is what's going on. And Sean's like, Oh hell no. You know? And that's when he kind of gets on the train and is like, I'm going to go see this for myself. Yeah. I could, t- I could see that. I mean, but the other thing is that, like, would he come in the character of Sean? Yeah, and and Adam Scott, yeah, Adam Scott does mention early on, like, I don't want to have to take this to Sean. And Michael's like, Sean. So it it feels like it it may have been scripted from the start. But yeah, how did did he get Sean to, like, play this character? 
Because he just seems so <sighs> skeptical. And he's like too high up to be doing like a bit part. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's too he's got too much on his plate. He's like he's a middle manager. He's got a lot going on. Like yeah. it should be some like completely he's too insig- busy failing up yes. to come to this. <laughs> there it should be some completely insignificant demon who gets sent to be be uh, masquerading as the judge of all things or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know how that ended up actually happening, but I think that's also kind of like it's all like it's all narrative convenience, you know what I mean? It's all yeah. like it's all like we have to get Sean into the good place so that we can do the reveal and we can see the flashbacks of Michael's experience and we can see Sean telling Michael this is what's going to happen now and you have one more chance and all that. Like Sean has to be there in the final episode and I I can see why they didn't want to introduce a new character in the last episode as Michael's boss. But it might have made things a little more explicable. Is that a word? The opposite of inexplicable? Can you say explicable? Sure. (laughs) Might have made things a little more explicable if Sean were a little lower down on the totem pole. Or if Sean kind of thought this whole thing was a really good idea and he was kind of jazzed by it and he wanted to see it for himself. Yeah, I think I would have, like, I think I would have bought... You know, maybe somebody who was like Michael has is like the ideas guy, and I could see potentially Sean as like the per- the guy who wants to get to middle management and isn't and like you know needs a really good idea. But as you said, like these demons don't typically have they're sort of like paper pushers and like lemmings, and they don't really have the ideas. So maybe he's trying to rise through the ranks, and he thinks, okay, if I you know, Michael has the idea and says, stick with me and you'll get to middle management and, you know, I can propel your career and I can have this sort of creative freedom to, like, torture people how I want. And this is mutually beneficial. But will we actually, like, I could buy that as Sean would play along because it's benefiting him. But what I don't get in the version that we actually do get, is, like, what I don't understand about it is that he seems very skeptical at the end of season one and then, or like when we see the flashback at the end of season one, but he's still playing along. And then that also kind of goes into, I know we've talked about this too, I think, but like that also kind of goes into towards the end of season two, like they have this whole unveiling at the museum of torture where they're talking about this like innovative new way to torture people. And Sean is talking about how, you know, it made a really big splash, but it's all, gone to hell like no you know pun intended so i can never quite figure out where sean is supposed to be on this whole thing like either he's really jazzed about it or he thinks it's ridiculous and stupid by the time the museum of torture exhibit is unveiled i mean i think we're to understand that Sean thinks everything is going like wildly successful right because michael is sending him these fake reports And Sean, probably kind of in accordance with what you were saying earlier, Sean is like, oh, this is really going to be a feather in my cap. Mm. You know, forget Michael. Like, this is going to be because I'm the really the one supervising this. And so this is really going to be, you know, the thing that makes me. And in fact, I think that's what he says when when he's he's gotten into upper management and he kind of says that it was the thing that propelled him up. Right. Maybe. I don't remember. I think that is what he says. So so, he has the upper management pin. Yes. That makes sense. 
So I think that the idea is like, oh, you were the one in charge of this like really innovative program. And, you know, they don't do a lot of innovation in the place, it seems like. And so like, oh, so this propelled me up. And, and by the time and, and like, let's let's do a whole museum exhibit about this and let's have a party. And I think by the time the wheels of that are in motion, it's all before it comes crashing down. So then they kind of go and and everything is ruined. And um, well, I guess from Sean's perspective, everything is going according to plan until the moment that he can't recapture the human souls. And he kind of is like, well, we're going to keep this quiet because I think at that point, you know, he's probably already, he's in the process of being promoted and this museum exhibit has already been built and the party's already been planned and all that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of buy that in retrospect of like, oh, this was like this big project that got me a lot of visibility. And so I'm going to like talk it up big time and, and that's fine. But but back in season one, when it just seems like this this nutty thing that this really offbeat demon just really wanted to do and nobody believed in it, including Sean, like why Sean kind of lowers himself to, to go pretend to be Jen basically yeah. is um, inexplicable. Also, does Jen know? Jen knows this, everything, right? Does, so Jen knows that that happened. Doesn't she know everything? Isn't that sort of like a, uh, um, yeah, that's true. Although she does say that she doesn't follow human affairs as closely because she needs to remain impartial. But she does say she knows their whole story, right? Yeah, she does. I, I think that she is as close to omniscient as this universe gets. So she knows that there was somebody out there, uh, like, basically impersonating her, kind of. I don't think she cares. Why would she care? I don't know. I, I might care about that if i were although she seems kind of blase about everything yeah yeah she's super chill she just wants to get back to her netflix queue yeah she's too busy watching bloodline yeah well i mean i hope we get to see more of both of them in season three yeah i mean so the thing is it keeps resonating for me with season one is like how funny and warm and wonderful it is and how also they kind of let the logic kind of hang out in the sidecar <laughs> with the little my little, little uh, helmet and the little road glasses and it's definitely <laughs> not um, it's not the primary passenger on the motorbike of <laughs> the good place <laughs> like logic dictate you know logic keeps yelling like uh, I'm not sure Sean would really it's like shut up logic <laughs> like um so how exactly does this trash storm actually be quiet logic <laughs> We're taking the 101, you know, like, <laughs> and that's, that's as it is, you know, and that's like, as I keep coming back to, it's like, does it ruin my enjoyment of the show? No, it does nothing for my enjoyment of the show. It doesn't impede it one bit. It What it makes me feel is simply curious. Like what I want is an explanation. I it, It's not, I demand an explanation. It's like, no, no, I would love to know. The, the way that when you are really into a like um an invented universe you want to know all the things you want to know the backstory you want to know why this is like that and you know yeah well and part of it too is when you're talking about an invented universe i mean and this is an invented universe for sure part of it is understanding the rules so that you understand what's possible in this universe what's not possible in this universe what happens when somebody breaks the rules, 
what constitutes breaking the rules. So because it helps you kind of keep track of events and character arcs and motivations and all these things. So like, you know, we understand that Janet goes against her protocol by loving someone, you know, falling for someone and then disobeying orders or disobeying her, her um, programming. Like she kind of has that, like she turns into a teenager for a second with Michael and she's like, Oh really? Is it a glitch to like not do the things that you were programmed to do? And Michael's like, yeah, that's exactly what a glitch is. (laughs) Um, So we understand Janet's character very well because we've seen her act a certain way and provide a certain service to the members of the community for basically up until like last episode where she kind of goes off with Jason and now is in love with him. So it like her character motivations made sense. The rules of her character made sense. And now we understand, okay, she's breaking that protocol. So she's breaking the rules. And now we get to see what happens when she does break those rules. I think the issue is then looking at the rest, what you're saying of like looking at stuff like the trash storm or looking at, like we don't understand how the universe operates if you think about it too hard. If you think about it as like, well, okay, all of this is an elaborate ruse. That would only work if we saw like flashbacks of all the different machinations that led to um, Michael controlling the trash storm and Michael controlling the plant that catches on fire and Michael controlling the sinkhole and doing all these things. But it really like we sort of believe for the most, most of season one that we are in a universe that is like the pocket watch intuitive to people's. Yeah. It's almost a, a sentient universe. It is kind of like reacting to people's uh, emotional states and and true feelings that they're hiding and true identities and this kind of thing. But it's not really like when you peel away the layers, it's not really that. So it is kind of hard to understand the rules of the universe. So it does make it harder to like understand maybe what happens when those rules get broken. And I would say, importantly it makes it impossible to have really figured out the twist. I mean, you might have gotten lucky and thought to yourself, well, you know, this is a big network show, big budget, and, and, you know, there's got to be something going on here. And maybe in one of your wild flights of fantasy, you thought this is really the bad place and, and this and such a thing. But there was no way to logic yourself there. There was no way to treat it like you know, a Sherlock Holmes or, as we've talked about before, Encyclopedia Brown story, <laughs> where you follow the thread that the show is giving you and you kind of follow it down. Like, they, they wanted the last episode to come out of the blue. And so they got sloppy with the things that would have revealed the actual thing that they were trying to hide. You know, it's it's misdirection of the highest order. It's basically, you know, normally the art of misdirection is pay no attention to me doing this small thing because oh, I'm over here doing this small thing. But this show is pay no attention to me hiding this huge secret because I am misrepresenting like every possible thing that could get you to the point where you understand that it's a secret. Yeah. That's true. And yeah, I mean, when you look back at 
the um, reviews for season one episodes uh, previous. Oh, like to on this. Netflix or something? No, just like you know what when we would look at uh, reviews for season oh, like one AV or Club, whatever. yeah, AV Club or whoever. I don't believe that ahead of the twist episode, the fi- the finale episode of the season, that there was a lot like. I don't think that there were any reviews that were like, well, you know, if you look closely, there's something going on here. So let's follow that thread and we'll be back next week to like dissect this more. It was all just like, oh, this was an episode about Eleanor trying to stay in the good place. And it's much more about her motivations, which I think goes to kind of what you said earlier, which is that the strength of these episodes is the relationship building that they do and all the character development that happens, less so all of the twists and turns with the misdirection of the plot. Yeah, it almost feels like the whole first season, it's not that it doesn't matter because it matters a lot, but the first season almost only matters insofar as it sets up the first episode of the second season. It feels like the second season is real, where the real heart and true plot thread of the whole show really lies the whole first season is kind of just a tap dance that is forcing you to fall in love with these characters to understand the setting to grasp the basics of how things work although not much past the basics and then to kind of wash it all away like a sandcastle on the beach and say now that I have your attention and now that you know who these people are and you love them, like now the real story starts. Yeah. It's almost like having a very long prologue. On that, Mike, actually, Mike, what if this is all still the pre credit sequence? <laughs> and that's actually not uncommon with Michael Schur because, Oh, okay. Or at least I'll say like the first season of parks and recreation is six episodes long. I think. And the first ep- the first season is oftentimes sort of like the oft-overlooked season of Parks and Rec. And I look at it as setting up, kind of doing the same thing, setting up the characters, setting up like Leslie Nope's uh, motivation, getting you to kind of like her and root for her. And then things really take off in season two. Now, part of that is because they had a smaller season order for season one, so they couldn't get as much done. But a lot of it was just like laying the groundwork. We understand where we are. We understand, you know, what kind of stuff she's up against. We understand the people in her orbit. And then in season two, we're really going to get into like the, you know, the meat of what's happening and the show just got better from there. So... I wonder if, like, this is kind of the same thing, where if you have a 13-episode order... Like, I'm not saying that these episodes are rocky or, like, should be overlooked or whatever, but I think, to your point, like, they're really to get us hooked into Eleanor's character and, like, care about these people. And then season two is... And my husband, Cheaty. And your husband, Cheaty. And my husband, uh... I was gonna say Ben Wyatt, because that's who he is in Parks and Recreation. (laughs) Like I would feel much better if you married Ben Wyatt than God, if you married Demon too. Adam Scott. Can you? I okay. It's like Ben Wyatt is the man that I I dream of. I, I but Demon Adam. You, that Scott. should be your dating profile. Am looking for Ben Wyatt. Ben Wyatt. That if you fit be. this description, please call me. 
Yes, I love him. Um, but I think I just actually just you know that meme that's been going around of if you don't deserve me at my blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or if you don't like me at my blank, you don't deserve me at my blank. I think I'm gonna do one of, or if you don't love me as Demon Adam Scott, then you don't deserve me as Ben Wyatt. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but I think you're right that season two really takes everything to the next level, raises the stakes quite a bit, and gives a lot more humanity to all the other characters. And that actually, that happens in Parks and Recreation too, that like, the first season is a lot about Leslie, and... I mean, the whole show is a a lot about Leslie, but in season two, you sort of, I think, start to see more character development from characters who, I think, in the first season were a little bit more caricatures. In the second season, become more developed characters. Like, Andy Dwyer is a great example of that. In the first season, he was kind of just, like, just a doof who was, like, really um, not that likable and um, kind of, I don't want to say irredeemable, but, like, just not not a dude you root for. And then in the second season, they kind of tweaked his character a little bit to be like a lovable doof. And he ended up being one of the best characters in the show. And he ended up having this really lovely marriage to um, Aubrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza, who's like real life Daria. (laughs) So I think and then so I think you can see the same kind of threads in the Sherniverse like happening here where, you know, the first season really is all about Eleanor's journey. And then in the second season you get a lot more growth from all the other characters you get a lot certainly a lot more growth from michael oh yeah a lot more growth from janet you get a lot more growth from chidi by the end tahani and also tahani tahani grows a lot i think the only one who's still underdeveloped kind of is jason he's like the homer simpson of the show yeah (laughs) but we see him like you know have little moments here and there but so i i can see that kind of as a, a maybe a a hallmark of Michael Schur shows. I don't have much left to say. And do you have anything you want to say before we wrap up? I mean, I think it's interesting to see, like having seen Janet be so like, have so much life and be such a part of the, we, I've said this before, but like, it's a little jarring to see like old versions of Janet. And like, so to see her just coming into her own is like kind of a cool thing to go back and revisit that and you know next time we get mindy st Clair, so it'll be great i I was gonna say that it raises the question of why no previous janet versions had kind of varied their behavior so much but first of all we don't really know that to be true or untrue but also secondly i assume that in the past when janet's have been you know she talks about in the episode where they murder her she talks about how you know she this has happened before because she's basically had a software update the first janet had a quick wheel yes (laughs) um i think we can safely assume that those have all happened in kind of a, you know the the robot or i should say the janet version of a clean room you know she wasn't surrounded by a bunch of demons demanding jalapeno poppers and also Jason telling her about jalapeno poppers. You know, she was, she was in that big white Janet room when they kind of updated her. And, and so there was basically negative input to her. There was no input to her system to, because it's all about, I think it's sort of like chaos theory, initial condition stuff, you know, like if Janet always sort of, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, if the initial conditions of something are different than the result 
the resulting thing is wildly different. Like, you know, uh, the, uh, so so if you, you know, if you conceive your child on a different night, right? It's a completely different child, even though the you know the everything else was the same. You know, just that one little tweak in the initial conditions. It I produces a completely different outcome. Yeah. So I think we can kind of say with Janet, like all of her initial conditions prior to this were all that sort of clean white Janet room. Mm-hmm. But this time was this messy, forked up, good place, bad place universe mix of demons and humans and just everything weird going on. And so with different initial conditions, she just like completely went in a different direction. Although then there is sort of the issue of Michael rebooting her those 800 something times. But I would argue that even just that first reboot happening in the way it did was enough to kind of veer her off course. Well, and all the other reboots happen still in the, you know, not in a clean room. They happen in the good place, bad place. And so who knows what's been happening for those 800 other reboots. You know what I mean? Like, Uh uh-huh all the stuff that she's been privy to or made to do or whatever. Yeah. And that's how we got our Janet who can pretend to be bad Janet and karate kick Sean across the room. Yes. Speaking of rules that we thought were rules that then turned out to not be rules. Yes. Um, before we go, uh, Trifton emailed us just to tell us that back in the digital, what was that song called? Digital get down. Thank you. Back in the digital get down days, that there were people with fast internet connections. They were like college students on lands, which yes, thank you. I, 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 come on, man. I, you know, our, our mother worked at an academic institution where she, you know, they had a T1 line. And so, you know, I used to go to her office, you know, this would have been in like 1997, 98, maybe I used to go to her office and um, download things using their internet connection, like sound clips. That was a big thing for me for a while. I would make sound make sound themes for the computer that we all shared. So I hope I that everybody that. <laughs> Yes. Hope that everybody <laughs> liked hearing either Mulder and Scully's voice when they tried to click on anything or a Powerpuff Girls um sound or a mystery science theater. Oh yeah, that was what oh god, that was or so good. Uh, the Matrix. I actually heard, Oh yeah, that was yep, there was I Matrix heard yep. clips from the Matrix on our shared home computer before I ever saw the movie. So when I first saw the Matrix, like, you know, as I was like 11, when he says, come on, stop stop trying to hit me and hit me. I was like, I've heard that when I try to open like our C drive or whatever. Yeah. Every time you minimize the window, maximize the window, click to the, you know, whatever, whatever. I think it was Windows 3.1, right? Uh, Good times. Yeah. We never had Windows 95, so it would have had to be Windows 3.1. Yeah. Every time you tried to do an action our family computer would talk at you a a pop culture clip because that was what I was obsessed with doing. But I, I would go to my mom's uh, office and download things on their T1 line and then have to put them on floppy disks, which was, you know, a little cumbersome. (laughs) Um, But yes, I realized that fast internet connections existed. They just didn't exist for like 99.5% of people. And they probably didn't exist for a lot of, who, uh, like, a lot of the young girls who were listening to uh, <laughs> get no, string, no Strings Attached, the album. Yeah, that was uh, probably more of a tween album than a yeah. college student album. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you want to talk to me about NSYNC's No Strings Attached album, I'm here for that. 
<laughs> I am not. Please seek out Brianna individually <laughs> Brianna after only. class is over. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, until next time, I love you too, Egg. We'll see you next time, Ding Dongs. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Knock, knock, knocking on